<laughs> Should we do our song? Jillian Pensavale. Patrick Hines. Ba-da-da. Ooh, it felt good today. I know. Does it feel good for you? Was it good for you? <laughs> gross. <laughs> You're gross. Girl. Girl. Oh, my God. Are you all right? Is the I'm question. fine. You we're, sound like you're not. We're back. Listen, I got my Red Bull. I got my Pinot Grigio. Yeah. Be a Red Thanks Bull, for getting Pinot the Pinot, Pinot Grigio for hey, me. You know, right before we went on for the live show, when I went out to get the wine, you went, could it just not be the butteriest thing you've ever had? I did ask that, actually. <laughs> and then you showed up to the show and you were like, here's a box of Chablis. And I was like, perfect. <laughs> Do you know that it said on the box, like, 36 glasses? Yeah. And Steve literally said to me, straight faced, do not drink all of that. <laughs> I was kind of surprised it lasted for both shows. I know. Honest. I was like, 36, that's nothing. <laughs> oh, Chablis? Come on. Uh, girl, speaking of our live show, you guys, let's just get the Patreon plug right out of the way. Oh, yeah. It's up on the, the full live show video is up on our Patreon page. I haven't watched it yet. I'm too scared. It's really, really fun. I've watched it a couple times. Mike has watched it. You, I mean, the feedback's great. I'm just a, I'm a scaredy cat. I'm too scared to watch it. It is a great time to support us and join the Patreon. You guys, tickets are on sale for our Pride show in June. <gasps> I'm telling you this. I'm saying it. I'm saying yeah? I'm saying it out loud. Oh, my God. You're looking you guys, directly in the eye. Because I think that there's a part of you that believes this isn't going to happen. You guys, what? I'm doing tours for people who come to the show. I'm going to do, I don't know how many of you I'll be able to take. I don't know how we're going to figure out who's going to go. But I'm doing tours of the gay pride locations that are in the Stonewall documentary that we're covering. Oh, I know it's going to happen. That's I'm not doing what it. I said. That's not what I said. <laughs> You just think I'm going to be a wreck? I think you're going to be a wreck, and I think you're going to be exhausted, but yep. I love that you want to do it. I just love you so much, and I, I talk about you behind your back in the in the best way. Yep. Like, I, when you're not around, I talk about you, and I'm always like, the thing about Patrick is, like, he's always at 100, and he screams all the time, but I always talk about how you're, like, this queer historian, and that you just want to, like, spread the love and information, and yeah. I love that you're going to take the time and get I'm your ass out of tours. bed. You guys, get your tickets. They're going fast. Yes. Oh, girl, what are we talking about today? Whitey Bulger. Ripped from the headlines. This is our first rip from the headlines. Yeah, because we decided, because Whitey Bulger got beat to death in prison. <laughs> I was going to say beat up, and I was like, mm, no. He, yeah, he was transferred to a new prison. Yeah. And he got beat up by some Italian mob boss, like, within 12 hours. He so, was, like, 94 years yeah, old. Yeah, he was super old. And, um, yeah, so we figured, hey, what the hell, let's Law & Order SVU it, ripped from the headlines. My favorite part about Rip from the headlines is that in the beginning or end of the episode it's like everything's fictional nothing is and i'm just like but you you just said rip from that right you can't have it both ways law and order (laughs) i see you marishka whitey killed my sister took her teeth out whitey popped them and killed bald jazz if he wanted one on the head and shot him in the head he murdered people there he buried people there and he went to sleep there there were over 25 years where Bulger ruled the organized crime world. He was never charged with even a misdemeanor. Whitey Bulger faces possible maximum life in prison. This isn't really a typical criminal trial. This is not about getting acquitted. Don't you want to know what really went on? Is the government excited about having Bulger come back? Some people certainly are, but there are others who have many sleepless nights about what James Bulger is going to testify to. I asked the questions. I got the answers for money. I had contacts on the state police, the Boston police, also in the FBI. 
the very office that is currently prosecuting Whitey Bulger had some kind of corrupt relationship with Whitey Bulger. The federal government is so desperate to try to convince people that he's an informant. Where's the Boston police? Where's the FBI? He realized I get a blank check. I can do anything I want. You want to hang around gangsters and wise guys, this is what happens. There were some things about the file that were so suspicious. Without the FBI, my father would be alive today. You shut up. You're not allowed to talk about this. This prick here is never going to run free. I mean that. Take him out. When he was captured, he came out of the elevator and faced law enforcement with their guns drawn. And they were screaming at him, get down on your knees, get down on your knees. Whitey Bulger's not going to get down on his knees for anybody. Whitey Bulger is a vicious murderer, but he was enabled by the FBI. I, I have mixed feelings about this one. Okay, why? Well, Tell me why. I just, like, I didn't love it. And you were like, I was texting you that this morning. You're like, no, girl, here's what happened. These shitty Halloween documentaries have taken over your brain. Yeah, you are so used to, like, fake <laughs> demonology <laughs> bullshit. And again, I believe in the paranormal. Same. These documentaries were just bad. They and were now bad. we're back to basics. And I was like, girl, it's the 7 5 in Boston. We're going to do just fine. Don't worry about Boston's it. Boston's my hometown, you guys. I know. Maybe I'm part of the Irish mob. God, the those boys are so hot. Look. <laughs> Do you want to get into this or not? See, right. see how psyched you are? I, know, I knew it. I, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. So it starts with this insane story. This guy, Steve, he's Look, one of the 10 Steves and one of the 15 Johns and Jacks. Everyone is Steve, John, and Jack in this. And then the two women, the two like main women are Deborah. They're both Deb. It's <laughs> right. really, it's not their fault, you guys. It's just, it's just, you might have trouble following along. We're going to do our best. So this story, we love Steve. We're going to get back to Steve later on. This is like, the whole thing is horrifying. It's insane. But the, the film opens with this story about this poor guy who just like owned a liquor store and what a monster it was successful. Like he was really good at his job. And Whitey and like some other goon show up at his door. He's listening. Uh, we were hired to kill you. I'm like, what? He's, you got to understand, the other liquor stores, we hired, they hired us to kill you. I just couldn't believe it. I didn't know what to even think. I was dumbfounded. Actually, I froze. And they're like, you got to stop it with the liquor store. And he's like, I'm not stopping with the liquor store. And they're like, you got to stop with the liquor store. And he's like, no. And they're like, well, we're going to kill you. And then Whitey, the story of Whitey actually doing the most cliche thing. I know. He picks up uh, Steve's little girl. I know. And is like. He said, it would be terrible for this kid to grow up without a father. I was like, and I melted. People actually said that? <laughs> then he also says to him, I'm going to stab you and then I'm going to kill you. I'm going to stab you first and just for fun. Holy then I'm gonna Jesus. Oh, fuck. <laughs> was the said, response. He goes, oh, fuck. Holy Jesus. And then they pulled out a gun. I was like, oh, fuck. Holy Jesus. <laughs> point i mean this guy is telling the story from 30 years ago yeah this is also like before the real credits everybody yeah, 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 open yeah. Up totally. with this. so he doesn't even know like how powerful whitey was and the winter hill gang he was just yeah. like i'm just trying to open a liquor store right. 
That was really good Boston. Thanks. I worked at a Boston dive on the Upper East Side for a while. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah. It was back when Nomad Asiapara was on the, the Red Sox. <laughs> and so I would- Red Sox? I, the Red Sox. And so I, that's sort of how I perfected the accent. Not like I'm saying it's perfect. It's flawed in, no, in many really ways. No, it's really good. The thing about the Boston accent is that it's really nuanced. Like people who try it's to- It's not. It's very Queens. I'd be like, oh, you guys you know, want a couple of Coors Lights and Nomad Asiapara. And then I would just like talk about that. And then when I would like give them their change, I'd be like, I'm just fucking with you. I'm from Queens. I like the Mets. And they're like, oh my God. Oh my God. As long as you don't like the Yankees, you're totally good. And that's that how I got so Boston. my regulars. And then when I left, the bar shut down. Are you serious? I swear to God, it's still closed. What was it called? I don't care. I'm not going to. It doesn't matter. <laughs> All right, so we get a news report. Whitey Bulger has been caught. After 16 years, the FBI finally has its man. Boston mob boss James Whitey Bulger was captured in Southern California. Along with his longtime girlfriend, Catherine Elizabeth Gregg. The 83-year-old is accused of drug trafficking, extortion, and murder, all while working as an FBI informant. He was on the lam for 16 years. So part of the CNN report is that he was also working as an FBI informant. Or was he? Okay. (laughs) So a little background, if you live under a rock or you don't know anyone Irish or Italian or in any kind of... I happen to be both, so I'm here to help guide you through this whole thing. You guys came on a good day. You came on a good (laughs) day. Yeah, even in a year from now, when you guys are listening to this in your headphones, wherever you are, you came on a really good day. We've both been dead for nine months. It was a tragic ballooning accident. Here's the deal about Whitey Bulger. We learn a lot about him. It's James Bulger. They call him James, Jimmy, Whitey. Yeah. Whatever. Everyone's named James and Steve and Deborah. It's true. He's being charged 19 charges of murder. He was the head of the Winter Hill Gang in Southie Boston. Yeah. And he was second behind Osama Bin Laden (laughs) on the most wanted list. (laughs) You guys, he is a cold was. Yeah. A cold God, God rest his killer. soul. Yeah, right? Like, what the fuck? I'm just saying, Pat, you know, grammar. Yeah. <laughs> he went against everything. He talked to the FBI, informant or not. We'll get to it in a minute. Yeah, 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 yeah. He spoke to the FBI, which you're not allowed to do. He went, like, he killed family members, girlfriends, wives. You're not allowed to do that. The women, children, and family members are off limits when if you're a real gangster. And he says he didn't do it. Like, we will get we'll get to all of this later. So, in the back in the 70s and 80s, we get a little history. Whitey and the, the Winter Hill Gang terrorized South Boston. Yeah. It was the gang that ran amok. You have people who were being extorted, who talked about having shotgun barrels stuck in their mouths of machine guns pointed at their groin. Body bags shown them before Bulger shakes them down. It was absolute terror. There were bodies left and right. It's like every day, every other day, there were like bodies left and right coming up. And it was like Whitey and the Winter Hill Gang. Exactly. And the thing is, he ruled the organized crime world for 25 years and was never charged with a goddamn thing. Not even a misdemeanor. You think he wasn't talking to the FBI? Of course he was. No. So you guys, this is the whole thing. It's like we know he was talking to the FBI. It's a, it's a question of did they have him in their pocket or did he have them in his pocket? Right. Like he will maintain that he's a victim. Right. Whitey Bulger who killed... <laughs> <laughs> so many people you know he they worked for him he didn't work for them right that's what he's gonna say but I maintain if you're talking to the FBI and paying everybody 15 20 25,000 dollars every Christmas and then some you guys are working together I'm so sorry yeah I know your reputation's on the line but you guys are working together yeah it's just what's happening okay so we meet at this point we meet like the relatives of a, like a handful of the people that yeah. way killed 
So we meet Steve Davis, who's the brother of Deborah Davis. Whitey killed my sister. She was looked upon as a good person. She, she come in a room and she'd, she'd light it up. Hey, you know, everybody, you know, it's, he had no right to take her life. I love him. Do you love him? I do love him. He gets he he has a moment later on when he says cocksucker, which I was like, oh, cocksucker. Yeah, cocksucker. Yeah, I love him. And- <laughs> I was gonna say I think he has a nice face. I just has like a warm, welcoming face. Yeah, he's been through hell and back. He has the most jarring moment of this entire yes. movie, which we'll get to later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we also meet Patricia Donahue, who's the wife of Mike Donahue. Yeah, Mike was killed thirty years ago, but you know. I think when you lose somebody, there's no time. Sometimes it just seems like yesterday. I don't think he should have died when he died. He had too much to live for. This is a tragic fucking story. All this guy did was offer a ride home to somebody they really wanted to kill. Right. So he just happened to be in the car and he got killed too. Right. It's it's horrible. And she is a strong, badass woman and her son is with her and she is at the trial and she has a lot of things to say, mostly about how Whitey's a coward. And I think she's right. Yeah. And then we meet, we see Stephen Rakes again. He's the liquor store guy. Can we just call him Liquor Store Steve? Liquor Store Steve. And the reason I love this moment is because this is the two Steves, the liquor store Steve and Deborah's brother Steve. Right. They're best pals. Yeah, and it seems like I didn't know I had to get all dressed up. Jesus Christ. <laughs> that was a little 7-5. Sorry, I went back into Queens. Kind of comfort I get through this is talking with him. I thought, you know, me and Steve meet every morning, just about every morning for coffee. That's why Steve and I, we have something in common. This psychotic individual. These two Steves, like, they've been, they were both terrorized by Whitey Bulger. Oh, right. And they meet for coffee every morning to talk about I it. I think it's adorable. I love them both. I, know. I think it's very sweet. And it's just, it's one of those things where, like, we say this all the time. Like, if you haven't lived through it, you can't understand it. Yeah. And these people did live through it. Yeah. And I think they really do like each other. Like, it, for it's, sure. It's not the only thing they have in common yeah. being terrorized by Whitey <laughs> Bulger. Like, I think they just have a, a very similar sensibility. And I just love them both. And, uh, yeah. yeah. It's day one. Of one of the most anticipated trials in decades. For the people of Boston, this case is about justice. It is about redemption. It is about retribution. So here's the thing about this documentary. Because it's a federal case, there are yeah. no cameras involved in federal court. They're, Meaning they're you not can't, allowed. You can't take a camera into the trial. But you guys, we got transcripts <laughs> and voiceovers. Do we ever have a voiceover? He did the dirty work himself. He was a hands-on killer. <laughs> Defense attorney J.W. Carney stunned the courtroom, admitting for the first time that Bulger was involved in drug trafficking. James Bulger was involved in drug dealing. He was involved in bookmaking, loan sharking. These crimes are what he did. But he poked holes in government witnesses. Carney tried to paint a picture of Bulger associates turned government witnesses, John Martirano, Kevin Weeks, and Stephen Flemmy as the real murderers who just pinned their crimes on his client. He's accused of 19 murders. Right. He did everything else. Right. But he did not murder those girls. Uh, right. Every, and men. Right. He didn't, he didn't do any of those people. murders. Okay. <laughs> and this is also where we find out that they, like basically his three most trusted lieutenants yeah. are testifying against him. They are singing like canaries. Oh, singing, girl, high-pitched soprano. <laughs> they are full belt. There's no mix here. Full belt with these three. We'll get to them in a little bit. <laughs> 
so here's the thing. We now we learn a little bit about like how Whitey Bulger became the head of this Winter Hill gang. Yeah. So back in the sixties, he was in prison, but during this time there was like a huge, very violent gang war in Southie and sixty people were killed. Yeah, it was so like he missed it. Right. And it, it was like an Irish it was like an Irish gang war. Right. But why did he miss it? He was an Alcatraz, you guys. Oh, like I know. Like who is this person? <laughs> but he was here. Here's the thing. Like he was an Alcatraz, and at that point in the '60s, you wear that like a badge. Now, you know, for you and me, you know, we'd like to hand in our resume and say, "See, I went to Stanford. I got my MBA at Wharton." But in that milieu, if you're a wise guy, you say, "Oh, you went to Alcatraz." Yeah, it's of like, course. It's like I went to like Habit Business yeah. or you went to Alcatraz. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And exactly. everyone was like, you went to what? You went to what? <laughs> so when he got out, he he meets with Howie Winter. Also, Howie. How are you a mob boss with the name <laughs> Howie? Uh, who's head of the Winter Hill Gang. And he said to Howie, we got to stop the war in Southie. Too many people are dying. We're losing money. Howie was very impressed by Whitey. And one of the things that impressed him most was that Whitey had done time in Alcatraz. And how he said that Whitey came across as a guy that could be a leader. And he was super impressed. He's like, you went to Alcatraz. <laughs> you're signed up, man. You're you're my uh, consigliere, as we say. Well, so what happens is that this guy, Howie, has all the power, and he basically reaches out to the Mullins gang, and he this all just sounds right out of Newsies to me. Right. But he basically reaches out to Spot Conlon and is like, listen, this is my boy. He's in charge now. And this guy, Tommy King, he was like the head of the Mullins game. Tommy. Tommy. He is so hot, you guys. I am putting his mugshot in the group. I was so... I, 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 I honestly can't even pick him, pick him out of a lineup. No, no pun intended. <laughs> He's only on screen for like a second. Oh. I was Oh, dying. I was too busy taking notes. <laughs> I was... <laughs> You're right. I don't work hard enough on this thing. No, you don't at all, girl. <laughs> so anyway, now Whitey Bulger is in charge of Southie. Right. And now we meet Kevin Weeks, who will stay with us. Yes. He is one of those all belt, no mix, <laughs> singing like canaries. <laughs> His first album went platinum. Totally. <laughs> Something was great growing up. Everybody knew everyone. Everyone watched out for everybody. It was great. You know, we, we didn't have a lot, but we had a lot of fun with what we had. Hey, Jillian, what was the moment that changed his life? Well, uh, he, he went to Triple O's. It was a rough bar. <laughs> I knew how to fight, and that was kind of handy. So I started working different bars bouncing, and I uh, ended up at Triple O's. It's a neighborhood bar. It was kind of a rough bar. And that's why I met Jim Bulger and Steve Flemmy. I was uh, 18 at the time. He's like, I was big. I started beating people up. I was a bouncer. Yeah, he literally knows where the bodies are buried because he buried those bodies. (laughs) Yeah, he was like, he was one of Whitey's right-hand men. Right, and he is one of those people who, and we, we meet these people periodically doing this job that we do, no emotion. He's like, no, I fucking killed him and we chopped the, the limbs off and we buried them. I'm sorry, what? Like, why is that an issue? Put in a chair, tied with chains. As he walked down the stairs, Jim Bulger shot him in the back of the head. He was strangled. He was just gagging, vomiting. Jim Bulger asked if he wanted one on the head and the kid said, yes, please. And shot him in the head. The lack of emotion. I know. But you have to be that kind of person if you're going to kill 19 people. Well, that's a certain... You don't have to be that kind right. of person. You just are that kind of person and they're called murderers. You guys, we get this great... Like, one of the days of the trial, it goes back and forth between, like, filling us in with the story and then taking us into the trial. Right. But again, because we can't go into the courtroom with a camera, we just get transcripts. You guys get ready. Get ready. Buckle up. <laughs> 
So Kevin Weeks is Kevin Weeks takes, takes the, the stand. stand, and we hear right away Kevin Weeks is annoyed by the line of questioning. Right, and he's like, "Well, I killed rats all the time, and I I didn't even know that the biggest rat was right next to me." Meaning Whitey Bulger. Yeah. No, you guys, we are getting the like somebody like a reporter is reading us what happened. But the best was yet to come as Carney asked how the killings bother Weeks. The court transcript reads, "Because we killed people that were rats, and I had the biggest rat right next to me." And Whitey Bulger from his seat in the courtroom. Bulger then said, "You suck. You suck." Whitey, that's only that's the best you got. <laughs> no. May I? Please. <laughs> Whitey yells out in the courtroom, you suck. Kevin Weeks yells back, expletive you, okay? Expletive you too, replies Bulger. You guys, expletive you, expletive you too. I can't. They're screaming at each other in this court. Like, in what world? I know. In this, in this, the world that Whitey Bulger created. I just imagine that the judge is Freda Black. She's got two co- a cocktail in each hand. Right. She's asleep. And She's texting her sister. And you know that, like, it, they weren't standing up and screaming. This is not the Charles Manson trial where he was, like, right. leaping over like, and just, like, trying to attack people. You know, it was like, you suck. Yeah, fuck you. Yeah, fuck you too. That's what it was. It wasn't, like, they weren't standing up. It was more totally. a little like under the breath. There, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Expletive you too. <laughs> so now another uh, all bell to no mix yeah. sing like Mary <laughs> is Steve Fleming. I'm never going to get over. That's the Adina Menzel of ratting on people. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you so much. So Steve Fleming was on the same level as Whitey Bulger and the Winter Hill Gang. They yeah. were pretty equal. They were means... Carrie and Samantha. They were best girlfriends. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny about Sex of the City is that Carrie was everyone's best friend, right. but she was not. Like, she would not say that, like, Charlotte's her best friend. No one's best friends with Charlotte. She's just a pain in the ass. So they were on the same level, which means of horror. Yeah. They were horrifying, murderous, yes. awful people. Yep. But we hear from this cop that they were investigating Whitey and Steve's stolen car ring. Yeah. So this is kind of amazing because they set up shop across the street from the garage. You guys, this is all in the North End. Oh, what's I that I love the North about? End. The North End is like, the, it's where all the good Italian restaurants are. Of course it is. Basically what's happening is like in this garage, what, what the police are seeing is that Whitey, the head of the Irish gang set of Southie, right. is working with the Italian mob in Boston. Right. That the police have been after in Boston forever. In fact, like it's sort of like a mad obsession of the cops to break up the the Italian mob in Boston. And they were meeting daily with the leaders of the New England Mafia, the NGO crime family, patriarchal crime family. And it was unprecedented to see that. It was absolutely shocking to see that they were actually working together. That was like striking gold. So they go and they bug the place. Right. And the first day that they turn the bug, it's like, whoom, they turn on the bugs and Whitey's like, don't you love the cops? Don't you love those cops? They're doing really good work over on the Mass Pike. <laughs> That big dig's really taken longer than we thought it was going to take. Yeah, and they were like, well, someone, there's a rat somewhere. Someone told Whitey that they yeah. were going to be bugged. Someone inside. Somebody was protecting them. We knew we were had, and we just couldn't figure out how. So enter John Morris, one, yes. of, the, one of the many Johns. Right. We'll, we'll try to keep it on track, but he was a supervisor for the FBI organized crime squad. He's like a, the big boss at the FBI. Right. So he, girl gets hammered. And she's <laughs> like. amen to that. I, cheers. But she's like, so I heard you're spying on Whitey, right? And the guy's like, wait, there's no way you should even know about that. Like, it didn't go through you. Right. Someone else is a full belt, no mix, singing like a canary. Uh, I, I couldn't believe it. How does anybody know outside of our group? It didn't make sense. 
So now we learn about the informant program. Oh my god! And how like informants came to be a thing. Yes, you guys. Speaking of singing like a canary, I'm not going to do that joke 800 times. <laughs> but it started because they wanted to bring down the Italian mob. So this guy Joe Valachi was just like, "I'll do it." Like raises his <laughs> wave, raises his hand. And he's like, "I'll do it." So back in the 60s, he was like, "You want to? Are the cameras on? Do you hear me? Great. The mics are on. Great. Test, test. Yeah, test. test. He was like, "So the Cosa Nostra means like this thing of ours, our family. That's yeah. what that means. There's five families. Here's what goes on in the uh, initiation. There's the whole thing. We can't say anything about it." We're going to the, the Colombo family, to this family, to that family. and It's all on national television. I know that you told me that your dad was not the mob doctor. I don't believe you. Mr. Pensavalli. Dr. Pensavalli. Do- so he goes on national television, and everyone is, of course, glued to the television. Yeah, yeah. Because everyone's like, whoa, wait. Because J. Edgar Hoover, for years, was like, what mafia? <laughs> J. Edgar Hoover was busy trying to make people believe that he wasn't a cross-dressing gay man. I was going to say, he's got a lot of lingerie on. She- and that, that like, <laughs> the vintage lingerie is so beautiful and awesome. Like, And she's, like, a plus size. I, I love her. I wish she would have just owned it. I know. The picture, I mean, that's some good lingerie back then. They don't make it like they used to, you know? So he was all like, number one, I'm not listening in on anyone's conversations. Right. And number two, what mafia? Right. So Joe Valache's like, this mafia. <laughs> Five families, Cosa Nostra, whatever. And everyone popping, like they have the popcorn glued to their TV. You're killing me. Because this is the best television ever. Yeah. It's like, leave it to Beaver or this. Like, right. what the fuck, man? So then J. Edgar Hoover is like, all right. I get it. This is what people want. Now he wants to form a program where people are sort of encouraged to sing like canaries because it's kind of good. It's a good look for everybody. You, I could not follow this movie at all. Well, it's as though you directed it. I'm shocked. Well, I'm shocked because it's all about the drama and the spilling the tea. I feel like this is right in your wheelhouse. <laughs> And Jagger Hoover is like, while he has like some really hot number underneath his suit, he's just like, we need more drama, ladies. Round him up. Let's see what they got. So now we meet another John, uh, John Connolly. Yeah. And we get this FBI informant training video from 1983. Right. So John Connolly is the he is works for the FBI and he's really great at working with informants. That's his whole thing. Right. And he was like really insecure. He grew up with Whitey. Yeah. And he was really insecure because Whitey was like the good looking tough guy. Thank you. <laughs> when John Connolly was a boy, he lived in Southie in the same housing project with the Bulgers. And he was in awe of Whitey, who was a teenage thug with the platinum striking hair and the amazing Hollywood good looks. So John Connolly, given his history as a son of Southie, uh, his connection to the Bulger family, he succeeded in, in forging uh, what has since been called an unholy alliance with Whitey Bulger. This is where the story starts to diverge, because this John Connolly and the FBI will tell you that they went to Whitey to have him become an informant. Right. And Whitey will tell you that John Connolly just wanted Whitey to like him. So he would tell him things. He would say to Whitey Bulger, like, hey, if I hear anything, I'll just tell you because I think you're cool. Right. We'll give your guys like time to get out of there. Like, I'll be your guy on the inside. Right, but Whitey's also like, and then I paid them tens of thousands of dollars every Christmas. And not th- th- that's just like 30 people that he's paying But off. again, not to split hairs, but that goes to Whitey's point that like he wasn't a rat. He wasn't an informant. He was getting information that he was paying for not providing information that he was getting paid for. Sure. To Whitey, that's a really important distinction. Right, but if you're talking to the feds, 
But he's not giving them information. He's just getting information that he's paying for. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's necessarily true. I, 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 agree. I, I, I think agree. the files are, have yeah. been doctored. We'll get to it. Yeah, I'm. I'm just saying this is what Whitey is saying versus what the FBI is saying. Right. And what I'm saying is that you're bitches. You're all corrupt. Right. <laughs> and Whitey, you're a fucking murderer. So if you don't want to split hairs. <laughs> You kill right. people. Right, exactly. I'm sorry, am I am I like negotiating with Whitey? Like, what are you talking about? So here's the thing. We he, get like a, the inside track from his lawyer, right? We spent a lot he has of time. He's like with, 11 lawyers. Yeah, he's, he's got a million lawyers. lawyers. Yeah. So getting involved in this case, I had an opportunity that I don't think anybody in the public does is I get to see the files that the government had to suggest that he was an informant. I thought that there were some things about the file that was so suspicious. Uh, that I wanted to look into it in depth. He has an informant file that's 700 pages. So at first, and we'll learn later that that's like on the low range. Right. <laughs> but seven, I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> what we learn is that there are a lot of discrepancies. So we meet Daryl, who was hired by Whitey's defense team. She's to, a lady. She's a lady. To look through the 700-page file. Of course, I was eager to, to start the project and see what I could find, but I was also a bit skeptical. I mean, just looking at the file... When it was handed to me, I thought, how could that possibly be fictitious? It's 700 pages, and it looks very official, so it seems like it had to be solid. But slowly, I found a lot of strange repetition in the file. And she comes up with this like this one example of this memo that she finds that she's got some questions about. The tip reads that 1544 advised that the mafia whacked out a guy several weeks ago. He's in the trunk of a car. It doesn't tell who whacked out the guy. It doesn't tell what guy was whacked out. It doesn't tell where the car is. There's no substantive information in that. And there's no follow-up in the entire file. She's like, you know, well, details are missing. It doesn't say who was whacked out or when they were whacked out or who did the whacking out. But it just says that James Bulger said that there was whacking out. And so I ask you... Where are the details about the whacking out? And then also reports are showing up more than once, right. and they think that they can bury it in the 700. I don't think the 700-page file is accurate. Like, no way. What they're saying is that, like, it should be just stuff that Whitey told them. And it's, it's like, stuff that they learned in news reports. It's stuff that they right, right. got from other people's files. It's memos that are there more than once to make it look like there's more paper than there actually is. Right. There's a lot of evidence to say that, like, Whitey's telling the truth. Well, <laughs> let's not go that far. <laughs> He's not that good looking, Patrick. <laughs> Just let's hang on a little he bit. He kept it tight right up into his 90s. <sighs> He did. But so we we meet this woman, Angela, who is, it says that she's like a victim advocate, but basically her job. She's definitely a Wiccan. Like, look at her. She definitely does tarot oh, cards. No, and, for sure. Yeah. I, I know. I felt a, a, a kinship with her. <laughs> but her whole thing is that she's been looking through these files. Like, her whole career is looking through yeah. these files. And she's like, 700 pages? Are you kidding? You, you have an informant for 30 years? She goes, you should have between 60 and 300,000 pages. pages. I know. And I was like, oh, I'm a hot dummy. I thought 700 was a lot. Same. But more than that, she's saying like, like, th- this is what a real file looks like. Right. See, you didn't have this on yours, correct? These are important. These are showing who these went to and who authorized these. That's an unbelievable amount of signatures. Exactly. That means everybody here saw this or endorsed it. Yeah. And then it's to go into the information that he provided. He's given information and then the FBI does their own summary. Here. This informant has not furnished any information known to be false. Do you have any of that on you? We don't have things like that. It's not a real file. It's not a real it's file. It's not real. It's not real. Now we meet Bob Fitzpatrick, a.k.a. Fitzy. Hero Bell. Here's the thing. This guy, like, I loved him. He took down the KKK. Yeah. He found the gun from the, the of the guy who murdered Martin Luther King. He arrested 
did James Earl Ray. He fucking, he has no time for your shit. <laughs> None. No, he's None. amazing. I know. None whatsoever. And, but he's there, he's with the defense team because he is on the side of Whitey Bulger wasn't working for us. I think at some point they get in over the heads and their success was wrapped around Bulger to the point where he had to be validated. He had to be um, made into this uh, uh, informant that gave him all this information. That's the myth. That's the myth. His whole thing is that no bits of law enforcement were working together, uh-huh. which is kind of a big red flag because it's yeah. like you. This guy is is, a, is the head of the the Irish mob in Southie, and like he doesn't have. A, a misdemeanor? Right. Like, it's ridiculous. It doesn't right. make any sense. So... He decides he's going to go investigate. Fitzy walks right up to Whitey's <laughs> doorstep and is like, hey, girl. I arrive at uh, Bolger's place and uh, met at the door by Bolger. He's got a baseball cap on. He's got sunglasses. He's got a muscle shirt. I hold out my paw, my hand, and he doesn't take it. I don't. Okay, you know. He goes, I hold out my paw, my hand, and he doesn't take it. <laughs> Thanks for the translation, Fitzy. I, know, I knew exactly what you meant. But this was one of those things, too, where he, like, walks in, and he asks him straight up, are you an informant? Bulger doesn't answer. His boyfriend, Connolly, the FBI guy, right. walks out of, like, the bedroom. And about that time, Connolly pops out. And remember, this is supposed to be mano-a-mano, one-on-one. And I get very angry. I look over and and he says, hi, Fitzy, how you doing? And I'm saying to myself, oh, you know, this is, uh, this does not look good. I know, it feels like you walked out out of the, the bathroom in a towel. Oh, it's like, it's so like, hot. It's like, oh, oh, hey, Fitzy. Yeah, I and, know. And he's, but he, in reality, he's like, hey, Fitzy, how you doing? It's not at all weird that I'm here. <laughs> right. Just so look just away. To remind you who we're talking about, this guy Connolly is, we're told, is Whitey Bulger's handler at the FBI. Right. He's the one that grew up with Whitey Bulger and wanted Whitey Bulger to like him. Right. And so Fitzy's there and like <laughs> John Connolly in my head is like, can I fix you a drink? Right. Like what's going on? And, and Whitey's at the table and Fitzy's at the table. And Whitey's singing the same song of like, you know, you know, I just pay the FBI, they don't pay me. And what he tells me is that he's not an informant. That he has his own informants. And that he pays them. They don't pay him. And that he's the head of a gang. And that he runs the gang. So Fitz is like, we got to shut this shit down. Yeah. We got to shut it off. We, Turn yeah. it off. <laughs> like like a light. Did we just find our palate cleanser? <laughs> no, we've already done that one like four times. Oh, sorry. All right. God. <laughs> if you're an informant for the FBI and you're the head of the gang, then the FBI is validating the gang. You're actually part of the gang and the management process. So to me, he's a big problem. Close him. Get rid of him. And that's what I go back and tell my boss. So the end of that little bit of the story is that Fitzy goes to his bosses and he's like, are you kidding me? This is ridiculous. He, I, I saw Whitey with an FBI guy together. Like They were basically canoodling on the couch. Right. He was like, I saw Whitey Bulger canoodling <laughs> with FBI agent John Connolly. And the bosses are like, shut up. From that point on, I get resistance. I'm more or less told, you shut up. You're not allowed to talk about this. Here's why we are told that is the case. Here is who we are told is really protecting Whitey Bulger. There's a guy, this big week Jerry O'Sullivan, who like is the one that was responsible for taking down the mob in Boston. Yeah. 
had heard that one of the mob bosses had taken a hit out on him. Right. He was afraid that somebody was trying to kill him. Mm -hmm. And in Whitey Bulger's telling of the story, you guys, this is ridiculous. This head haunter of the FBI calls Whitey Bulger and was like, girl, get your Chardonnay and sit down. I have a story to tell you. Yeah, oh my God. Someone's coming after me, girl. I felt bad for him. So I told him, I says, look, I'll take care of this fight. I says, but I'm no spy. We don't meet. I'll take care of it my own way. If you can accept that, it'll be done. What was O'Sullivan's promise to you? His promise to me was this. He says, listen, Whitey, he says, I feel better. I'm under your umbrella of protection. You're under mine. He says, any federal crimes or anything like that, don't worry about it. He says, I'll always be in your corner from this point on. I'll protect you. You protect me. And that was the way it went. So this story is bullshit, but like this is this is Whitey Bulger's story, and he's sticking to it, right? So now we meet these DOJ guys. Oh this my like god! Trio of they the Grumps have had it. <laughs> they have been turning this car around, and and everything they're saying is they're looking back from the car that's been turned around. They hate it. So this one guy is like, "It's so ludicrous. We need a new word for ludicrous because that's how ludicrous it is." She has. She's done. The notion that a federal prosecutor could tell an organized crime figure that he could kill at will men and women, rich and poor, uh, Boston, Florida, Oklahoma, based on a personal promise to guarantee his safety is so absurd, so ludicrous. Uh, we, uh, we've run out of words like ludicrous and synonyms to describe it. We need a new word for ludicrous. She's like, we said ludicrous a hundred times. I don't know what else there is to say, but truly it's ludicrous. If you come up with a new lur- a new word for ludicrous, then we'll use it maybe. So now Fitzy is, who is a badass. I mean, taking down the KKK, arresting the guy yeah. who killed Martin Luther. I mean, he has really seen some shit. He has, but the, the reason that the FBI, who he is a part of the FBI, the reason they don't like him is because he is a witness for the defense. He is on the team of Whitey Bulger wasn't working for us. So they put, they he gets put up on the stand and the DA, the prosecutors, tear him apart. Right. There's this really ridiculously hilarious moment. It's like Fitzy, a little self-awareness girl. <laughs> At one point it's U.S. Attorney Brian Kelly said, are you on medication? Fitzpatrick said, yes. Kelly said sarcastically, does it affect your memory? Not that I recall, replied Fitzpatrick, as several people in court laughed. Well, does it affect your memory? Not that I recall. <laughs> and everybody laughs. And you can't write that shit. Does it affect your memory? Not that I recall. It's like Fitzy, like a little, a little witness prep, you guys. A little witness prep goes a long way. Right. So he gets off the stand. Like it didn't go well for him. He feels like he was not treated very well. And the DOJ guys are ludicrous guys. Yeah. Who I'm now calling them. They were just like, get over it, Fitzy. <laughs> With respect to my cross examination of Fitzpatrick, I do think it was fair. I think when people come into federal court and tell ridiculous stories, they can expect to be confronted aggressively with cross-examination. That's the purpose of cross-examination. You try to expose what is inaccurate. And their whole thing is like, now he's singing like a canary and acting like he tried to stop it. But back then, he was right there when all of this was happening. So, like, the timing's very convenient. That's That's their point of view. Okay, so, you guys, this the movie takes, like, a really fucking sharp left turn right here. Oh, my God. This is horrifying. It's horrifying. So, the guy, Lickastore Steve. Yeah. We find out that he gets dropped from the the list of people to testify. Right. So, the prosecution's like, hey, girl, you're no longer needed to be a witness. But it had meant so much to him to be a witness. Because, like, he had been terrorized by Whitey Bulger for 30 years. Right. He was really fucking bummed about it. And he sort of, like, disappears for two days. So now Steve Davis. The guy 
who remember they were best girlfriends and meet for coffee every morning yeah, yeah. and they talk about you know their shared experience or whatever. Right, and Steve Davis, his sister, is a victim. He was, she was murdered by Wendy Bulger. Right, so we are in the car with him. And they're just going, they're just having a normal morning. Right, so Steve is on the phone and he's worried. He's like, I can't get in touch with liquor store Steve. I tried calling him after court and his phone went right to voicemail. I called him all day yesterday, same after court, same thing. So I, I, I'm going to go over. I figured give him a little time to uh, cool down. As he's talking about this to the film crew. On the phone. He gets, you just hear him say, what? They found a body? Where? Where? I don't know. What was the body described like? That's him. That's him. You guys, liquor store Steve has been fucking murdered. So here's the thing. Not this to, is a horrifying. It's horrifying, but like the wife, his wife sitting next to him in the passenger seat. Oh, God. <laughs> Let, let's not go negative, Steve. Let, let's not jump to conclusion. Let's not go negative. Let's just say a prayer that he's all right. See the corruption? Well, wait. Let's not jump to conclusions. Let's say a prayer that he's okay. He's not here. Oh, my God. Is this car here, Steve? No. Oh, my God. Can you go knock on the door and see? But to watch this live. No, it's crazy. And the thing is, I I love her. And we never see her face because she probably didn't want to be involved. But then, like, when something horrible happens in real time when there's a documentary there, you you just speak up. And I think she was very aware that there were cameras on them. Uh And I think she kept trying to say, like, let's just not freak out. Like, I think she was trying to protect her husband Uh and, like, just... We don't know who's on the phone with him. We don't know who told him. Yeah, who he's talking to. But he literally turns the car around and he's like, I gotta get there. I gotta get there. It's horrible. And he goes to his house. He's, like, banging on the door. There's nobody there. Yeah. Here's the thing. Do you know what happened? Of course I do. So... Guys, it had he's dead, but it has nothing to do with Whitey Bulger. Uh, I don't know if I believe that. You know, but so the story is the day after he was found out that he, he didn't need to testify, he went to meet a friend for coffee, a guy who apparently owed him a hundred thousand dollars, and he drinks the coffee and dies. The guy, the guy murdered him by cyanide. Yeah, he spiked it with cyanide. Yeah, and then it was like it, that has nothing to do with Whitey Bulger, and I'm like. Well, it's a little. The timing's a little fishy, isn't it? A little weird. Yeah, it, yeah. G- it gives me a high pitched shoulders up. Well, <laughs> I don't know. It just seems a little. Yeah, we do have a news reporter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's my favorite thing in the world. She's like, we're getting reports that this murder was suspicious, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> The dude is a key witness yeah. in the Whitey Bulger case, and he ends up dead on the side of the road. Yeah, girl. Yeah, I know. Little suspicious. Yep. So at this point, like, because all of these things keep happening and, and Whitey Bulger just never gets in trouble. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So all of the other law authority, like the state police and the state like attorney. Like the local cops. Everybody thinks that Whitey Bulger has a relationship with the FBI. Because he does. Because he obviously does. Right. The state police and the FBI agree that Whitey Bulger and his partner, Steve Fleming, mm-hmm. the two bad guys, right. have to be arrested. So state police targeted Fleming. The FBI said they'll take Bulger. And that one night on January 5th, we found Fleming. And we arrested him on the streets of Boston. And we notified the FBI, okay, grab Bulger. And uh, that was the end of that. They never had Bulger, didn't know where he was. And it was 16 years later before we saw James Whitey Bulger again. They go to get Whitey Bulger and he's gone. So right. obviously somebody tipped him off. So that it was they like, were boop, 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 right. Brrr. Right. Hey, girl. (laughs) 
And he's like, yeah, what's up? It's like, girl, you in danger, girl. <laughs> and Whitey Bulger, poof, there's yeah. a Whitey Bulger shaped hole in the door. <laughs> she is running for her she life. She packed up that Cadillac, got her girlfriend, yeah. and threw her in the trunk and was like, we are out of here. Yeah, she had to lip sync for her life and she fucking <laughs> ran. So Steve Flemmy, who thinks that he's got this great deal with the FBI, is just rotting in jail. Right. They're like, Steve who? Right. Exactly. We don't know her. So he's like, whoa, <laughs> wait a second. <laughs> right. I gave you a shit ton of information, as did Whitey. This is not going to fly. So now this is a domino effect of now Kevin Weeks, another one of the associates who's like, yeah, no, we killed everybody, who literally showed him where the bodies were buried. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was arrested November 17th, 99. And they were telling me what it came down to make it really quick and simple is that it's a race. It's either you or Stevie. You're going to get the last seat on the bus. But whichever one of you get up there first and make a deal with the government is going to get the best deal. And the whole thing about this whole crew is that being a rat is the worst thing you can be. Being a snitch is the worst thing you can be. And now all of them are racing. It's an actual rat race. (laughs) Racing each other to tell on each other first to get the better deal. It's an actual rat race. It's an actual rat race. (laughs) And it actually turns out right. Like Steve admits to all of this shit that he did. Right. He killed five people. He gets five years. He killed many people, but he brought them to five burials sites so we got five years for those five murders and then the other guy this is john moderano who's like was another one of their hitmen he killed 19 13 people something they called him the chief executioner how horrifying (laughs) you guys not only did he only get 12 years for all that he did they let him keep some of the money and some of the property that he stole they paid his commissary they paid his commissary and and he got a waiver for the death penalty and then handed him a $25,000 check when he got out (laughs) thank you for your time And then the big FBI boss who like oversaw this whole thing and was totally corrupt. They say like he got people killed. He's a wine consultant now. Yeah, he got zero time crying on the stand. Totally. Crying on the stand. Get the fuck out of (laughs) here. But then that guy, Steve Fleming, he waited too long to make a deal. Yeah. His like information was useless at the end. He got a life sentence. Yeah. And that's it. It it ends with he gets convicted. He gets two consecutive life terms plus five years for good measure. Girl, look at my notes. It says for good measure. We are the same I person. I love you. I love you. Um, and it ends with this like phone call of him being like, yeah, you know, the system's really broken. There's no lessons learned. You can't get a fair trial. You can't get a fair hearing. This system here, it isn't going to change. It isn't going to change. It'll never change. Whitey? <laughs> The system is broken. Yes. Like, because there are a lot of times where it's like someone who's so innocent, it's like, how can this happen? And then right. someone's so guilty. Like, yes, the, the system is broken 100%. You're a murderer. <laughs> and you did terrible, terrible things. Yep. And your green eyes, some may think that they're attractive, but they're dead inside. Yes. And you're. Well, guess oh, what? Now he's dead all over. Now he's dead all <laughs> Because the Italian ma- mafia was like, finally, we got him. And they beat the shit out of him in prison. Girl, 
the bottom line is everyone's corrupt all the time and sometimes people are murderers and that does not make them victims. Right. That is the thesis <laughs> of this thing. No matter how good looking they are, Patrick. I know, but God, he was so good looking. Um, You guys, get tickets to our live show. Oh my come God. see us in, come see our Pride show in June. Yes. We are announcing the date and location of our Chicago shows very soon. Mm-hmm. You guys, we're off next week for Thanksgiving, but when we come back the following week, we're doing Thought Crimes, the case of the cannibal cop. Oh, I'm scared because this is like where we used to live. Remember, like pre demonology, yes, pre pre ridiculous Halloween mo- documentaries. The mob. Yeah. Now we're back to ooh, back to basics. I hate to say. <laughs> um, girl, where can they find us? They can find us at True Crime Obsessed on the Twitter and True Crime Obsessed. Dot com And that's where you really get everything. Yep. That's you, your one-stop shop. You guys, you find our promo codes there for all of our advertisers. Yep. Get our CS Live. You can look at the calendar, which is going to be updated very soon. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see all of our bonus stuff there as well. Yeah. Girl, where can they find you? At Jillian with a G on all the things. Uh, I'm at Patrick Hines underscore on the Instagram, which I'm starting to take more seriously. Follow me, you guys. Oh, okay. Yeah. And at Patrick Hines on the Twitter. And don't forget, you guys, we just announced another live show happening on Saturday, February 9th. Patreon fam, check your email for a ticket link. You get a one-day head start before tickets go on sale to everyone tomorrow. Um, we haven't decided what the palette is going to be. We're not going to be forced into a decision. No, I, we are absolutely not. Our bodies, our choices. <laughs> so when it happens at the very end of this episode, it'll be a surprise for all of us. Great. I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> we love you. We love you. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye. I was going to be tied up by my feet. The suffering was for his enjoyment. But he wanted to make it last as long as possible. He had no remorse. You read about the case, you read about these chats, and you're horrified. And you're just like, this guy's a monster. The idea of the cannibal cop wandering around with a badge was unbelievable. But there were two sides to this story. Yeah, this is depraved language and unconventional thoughts, but there's no evidence. It just sends a shiver down my spine. What is the line between fantasy and crime? Is he a harmless teddy bear of a guy, or is he a nefarious master criminal? I mean, we're amazing and gorgeous, but the fact that you and I would ever have any physical intimacy is not, that's just not natural. What if I was just making my move really slow? <laughs> so for all those years, it's you and Steve. It's a big ruse. It's yeah, just all we fake. rent Daisy by the month. Oh well, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it was a tragic ballooning accident. <laughs> oh you guys were alive and well. Um, so the thing about it is that working. <laughs> I just imagined a ballooning accident that took that took us both out. Hilarious. <laughs> Oh, that Red Bull's kicking in. It, it is. I, ooh. Ooh. I am from the area, so I know of Whitey Bulger. You're Bulger's. from Southie? I'm, You're I'm from Cape Cod, girl. What's his name? James O'Grady? <laughs> Jerry O'Sullivan. It's Jerry Ma- Jeremiah O'Sullivan. It's the most Irish name I've ever heard. James O'Grady. <laughs> Keep that in, please, for the outtakes. <laughs> You can tell in the mugshot that looks like it's out of central casting yeah. <laughs> and Photoshop to look that like. That Whitey Bulger one? Yeah. He is smoking hot, you guys. He's he's very handsome, Ugh. but you're just like, there's nothing. He's like I a know. shell of a he, person. Whitey Bulger was obsessed with the gym. He would work out like crazy. He ate really, and really healthy shows. food. That's why he lived to be 94. Such a hot daddy, Whitey Bulger. Whitey Bulger. And it's like, the, the, the transfer, the on-screen text of the transcript is like, F star, star, star. <laughs> Expletive. <laughs>
I'm sorry. Did I say? I mean, Patrick Hines <laughs> is the good-looking, tough guy, sweetheart. <laughs> I was in the stands rooting for our team when I saw the Buccaneers cheer for the first time. Standing on their hands, every move extreme. I looked around. Do these people see what I see? These Truman girls were superhuman girls, and when they started to fly, I knew that I would find a way to be up there one day, cause in that moment I finally knew what I was born to do. Gonna be a cheerleader like the Buccaneers in front of me So I stumbled till I tumbled and I made a team Now my life is every adolescent's favorite dream Slow motion down the hall As kids all stop and stare I feel like I'm a part of it all For the first time And if I ever fall I know my squad is there Cause I've got the Buccaneers here behind me These Truman girls are superhuman girls And there is nothing that they Denied. Oh. I'm Kyler from Tyler. My real name is Inez, but Skylar said to change it, and I do what Skylar says. My name is Bridget. I rock the parrot head. It's hot in here and kind of smells like someone wet the bed. Gross. What's up? My name is Steven. I'm so handsome, it hurts. Don't need an umbrella. I stand under mini skirts. What? Yeah, I'm a boss. I don't care what the haters say. How many dudes can say they pick up girls all day? Love you. Love you more. Oh, yay. Cheerleader tryouts are tonight. Pick me. No, pick me. Even mocking cheerleaders cannot hide the emptiness in my soul. Hey, you never met me face to face. If you think cheerleaders are a waste of space, we work and we fight and we train and hustle. We get many petties, but we're made of muscle. We got one shot that we work all year for. We got more balls in the team we cheer for. Nationals is getting closer by the minute. Last year we took bronze. This year we're gonna win it. Bring it. Counting down the days. We'll know how bright we shine.